फ्रेंड्स योगा इज नॉट ए पास टाइम इट्स ए फुल टाइम ऑक्यूपेशन फुल टाइम एंगेजमेंट विद अवर सेल्स नॉर इज इट केक वॉक इज ए जर्नी लाइक वी जस्ट ऑल अराउंड द रोड्स इट्स ए सीरियस एफर्ट and in this process many layers of not only our own being are exposed and laid bare but we have to come into touch and contact with many 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 forces and we have to tackle negotiate through them it's a long journey it can be a perilous journey the purpose of uh, some of the things that um, are being expressed is basically from a seeker's point of view i presume that all of us are here with that urge that how to really practice yoga and not merely theorize or intellectualize about yoga because it's a real growth serial growth and serial journey and the only way to really know about the journey is to walk on it the mother says in one of her passages there are men there are people who love adventure i invite you to this adventure is the sublimest of adventure then she says something very interesting he says what may happen to you tomorrow i do not know come what may those who are ready for this adventure it's a sublimest of adventure it's a sublime adventure because <coughs> when we live in the normal surface consciousness we are unaware of many things many things within us many things which are around us but as we grow through yoga these things come to the surface and we have to face them and tackle them and walk through them how is this path the mother says that in this journey there are three kinds of forces that meet us to examine us and see whether we are ready to pass on or not it's like when we go through the schooling process there are we all know about the test of yoga in the ancient traditions tests was taken even before one was admitted into the yoga because it's a serious pursuit we all know that in any serious endeavor there has to be readiness and fitness not everybody can become a mountaineer not everybody can become a psychiatrist <laughs> not everybody can become anything even has to be ready nature has to be tuned each um, everything that we want to do has its own there is a process there is a readiness there is a preparation so mother recounts the story of uh, an ancient initiation she says now you have the books so you can read and everybody believes because they can read they can do yoga 
She says in ancient times, before the initiation itself, a test was taken. And she recounts the story of one Yusuf who goes to a master and says, I want to do yoga. So the master says, all right, can you do a small work for me? He says, what is the work? She says, the master says, you have to just carry this box to the next village where another great master lives and please just give it to him and come back. He says, oh, as simple as that? He says, yeah, only one thing, don't open the box, you know, there is something very important inside. Now as he goes, he begins to wonder what is inside the box. And the master says, don't open the box and you open, you know. He is wondering, you know, what is inside the box? He gets the earth to open it. It's, no, no, it's not the right, you know. Then, at one place he has to take rest, but his mind is being eaten up by this thought. What is inside the box? He weighs it, says, it's not heavy also, nothing seems to be inside. What could be inside the box after all, which I cannot see? Then finally his mind tells him, what is there, how is the master going to know, if I just open it, I will close it, that's all, I will see it, master will not know that I have seen. So with all that inquisitiveness, he opens the box. And lo and behold, there was a small little mouse inside, it jumps out and runs away. Now he is, you know, in a turmoil that, you know, he thought it must be some document or something. <laughs> he tries to catch the mouse, but naturally the mouse disappears and finally he comes back to the master and says, I am sorry, you know, you gave me this errand and I can't do it. The master says, you couldn't even obey this much? You couldn't even pass this simple ordinary test? How are you going to walk on the path of yoga? And he rejects him. The disciple goes back, prepares himself. After many years, he is finally ready for yoga. In fact, the master says, you are no more, I, I am not now destined to give you initiation. So he goes to some other master, finally after many years of preparation, and grows into yoga. Because it's this preparation, very often we think, we we feel that it's just nothing but I understand yoga, I have read it from the book and I can do it. There is no, Shubhinda says, there is no, uh, you know, yoga like French uh, made easy or French without tears. <laughs> you have to go through what one has to go through. And in this process, he says, there are three kinds of examiners who meet us on the way. Three kinds of forces, three kinds of examiner, and they devise three kinds of tests. The first kind of examiners are forces of universal nature. So they test us whether we are ready to go to the next level or not. Then there are adverse and hostile forces. And then there are spiritual and divine forces. We read all this in in, in the ancient traditions and we don't understand that why Indra has to keep on disturbing everybody's tapasya. The moment a seer does tapasya, the first thing is that Indra sends some apsaras to make sure, you know, <laughs> this man is... So people wonder why does he do it? Well, it's Indra's task to see whether one is ready to go to the beyond or not. There are beautiful stories like that, even spiritual forces. And spiritual forces test you by giving you things which are like side tracks of the yoga. You want to do yoga of transformation, suddenly some, some 
buddy or some being will come and say, oh, that's, I'll give you some transformation, some experience of a very quick result, please come. And one goes and, you know, gets sidetracked. There is another instance of a great saint, Baba Farid. His guru, before giving him the final realization, he arranges for a test for him. So he sends him to another great saint and says, can you go there and just again give a message to him. So he goes and gives the message. This great saint reads the message and he tells Baba Farid, you come, I'll embrace you. And I have that power and capacity within me that if I embrace you, I'll give you the highest realization of yoga. Baba Farid says, steps back. He says, whatever I have to receive, I shall receive from my master. You think he is not capable of giving me? If he has not given me, I am not yet worthy of it. Look at the attitude of the disciple. When he goes back, his master tells him, yes, quite so. That was the last test on your way. And you have passed successfully. Now you are ready for He himself became a great master. So it's a path fraught with its own difficulties. The adverse and the hostile forces, of course. I was just sharing bits and pieces of this passage. It's all there in great detail described in Mother and Shurabindu's writings. So I always suggest, please read the complete works of Shurabindu and the Mother. Then you will get the full picture of what yoga is. What a serious effort it is. It's not... Uh, you know, there is so much delight that comes through yoga, but also one has to drink a lot of poison stuff in the process. What may happen? Just some possibilities and why, you know, many things like surrender and all these are advised. They are not meant for the gurus. In one of his letters, Shirobindo tells Sahanadi, the advice of surrender and obedience to the guru are not meant for the guru's sake. They are meant for the safety of the disciple. It's not that the guru wants to aggrandize himself, but it is for the disciple's safety. So what may happen, I am just reading a small passage. This book is full of so many things, beautiful things. There is a passage in yoga where one enters into a state of confusion. And what happens there? A lie was there the truth, and truth a lie. Here must the traveller of the upward way, for daring hell's kingdoms, winds the heavenly route. Pause or pass slowly through that perilous space, a prayer upon his lips and the great name. If probed not all discernment's keen spear point, he might stumble into falsity's endless net. Over his shoulder often he must look back. The amount of vigilance that is required. Nobody is around to know what you are doing. Nobody is there to know what one is doing in one's private moment or in one's lonely hours. But Still, one has to be vigil, sleepless, as the adept say. Of course, not literally. If one is literally sleepless, there is a problem. <laughs> but 
he might stumble into falsity's endless net. Over his shoulder often he must look back like one who feels on his neck an enemy's breath. Else stealing up behind a treasonous blow might prostrate caste and pin to unholy soil pierced through his back by evil's poignant stake. So might one fall on the eternal's road. Forfeiting the spirit's lonely chance in time. Mother says, if you have the faith, guard it like a most sacred treasure. If everything is lost, if faith is there, everything can be rebuilt. But if faith is lost, be sure the rest of the things are on the way to be lost. So she says you must guard it because there are forces that steal. And if one has got a chance to awaken to the yoga, what a rarity it is. The spirit's lonely chance. Forfeiting the spirit's lonely chance in time and no news of him reach the waiting gods marked missing in the register of souls. Whether we are on the path of yoga or not is not marked here. It doesn't matter whether there is, you know, in the register, whether home conference you have registered or not, or whether you are an official ashramite or not, or whether you are in this organization or not. It is, that's not really relevant. But the moment a soul aspires, up there a tick is put. Here comes the traveler. And he is washed over by the gods, but also by the titans. And one has to be conscious and keep a vigil, otherwise a point may come when he suddenly got say, where is he? He was coming. I saw him come right up to fifth step. Where has he disappeared? His name, the index of a feeling hope, the position of a dead remembered star. So who is safe? How to keep one safeguard? What will save one in the, when one is going through this passage? Which capacity in nature, Shravindu tells us, only were safe who kept God in their hearts. When one is face to face with this reality of falsehood, nothing can save us. No amount of intellectual discernment can help. But only were safe who kept God in their hearts. Courage their armor. Faith their sword they must walk, the hand ready to smite, the eye to scout, casting a javelin regard in front, heroes and soldiers of the army of light. So this is the path, it has its own charm, it has its own danger. And that is why it's important to understand yoga in its totality, in its, in its practical aspect. And one has to prepare oneself with the thoroughness. Even a mother says, just to discover the soul, what should be the preparation? She says, compares it that you must prepare yourself armed with the qualities that are required to discover new continents. So if I have to discover a new continent and set myself on sail, what are the qualities I will arm myself with? He says, just to discover the soul, one must have these 
qualities. So these qualities which we see, you know, there are, we see mother symbol, so at the center of course is the Divine Mother. No quality will help us if at the center we have not kept her. Then around it there are the four great aspects which we will speak about tomorrow sometime. And then we see that the outer petal, there are twelve petals in the outermost circle. And the mother has given to them not only colors but names. That what are these twelve petals? They are the powers and the qualities necessary for the new manifestation. We speak of new manifestation and new consciousness and we talk of it very, very lightly and casually. Here is one of the letters of Shirobindo. You must get out of certain wrong ideas that you seem to have about yoga. For these are dangerous and ought to be thrown away by every sadhak. He is talking only of idea, not even something like an action. Just certain ideas. The object of yoga is not to become like Sri Aurobindo or the mother. Idea number one. Those who cherish this idea easily come to the further idea that they can become their equals and even greater. This is only to feed the ego. So when we start this yoga, that start the yoga, then I must go further. Sri has left it here. Now I go still further. It is only to feed the ego. Two, the object of yoga is not to get power or to be more powerful than others or to have great siddhis or to do great or wonderful or miraculous things. Yoga is not meant for. That's why, you know, if you read Mother and Shurabindu, actually there is no ambiguity. We must read Mother and Shurabindu. Read at least letters on yoga. Nothing else. It's something very simple. Number three, the object of yoga is not to be a great yogi or a superman. Yoga is not to become a superman, fly in air and to get, you know, suddenly the body will become luminous and one will become invisible. So, Shravinda is telling us, this is an egoistic way of taking the yoga and can lead to no good. Avoid it altogether. Yoga is not to be done with that object. Number four, to talk about the supramental and think of bringing it down in yourself is the most dangerous of all. So, you know, I am pulling at the supramental and I am becoming golden. And worse is then you start asking people, is my skin color changing? <laughs> and if you have friends who put you in the ditch, who will say, yes, 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 you are very great. Avoid strictly the company of people who flatter the ego. It's much safer to be in the company of those who are critical of you. It's safer. And that's why God always puts along with every great being, somebody will criticize her or him because it's a safety. <laughs> but be wary if somebody is aggrandizing you. The moment somebody says, oh, how, how great, how great are you? What a great talk you gave. What a book you have written. How wonderful. Be careful. Shut the ears. He is digging a ditch. And going to push you into it. All greatness and glory belongs to God. 
It's not to be said, it is to be felt. Sometimes we say it and feel great. <laughs> Publicly I am acknowledging that it will. So it's an inner process, we cannot deceive the divine. So the four is to talk about the supramental and thing of bringing, thinking of bringing it down in yourself is the most dangerous of all. It may bring an entire megalomania and loss of balance. What the sadhak has to seek is the full opening to the divine. How beautiful and simple it is. We don't bother ever. It will happen. What has to happen? What we have to do is our side of the work. The supramental change is not our side of the work. That is divine's business. You know, we are trying to rob him of his business and, you know, let him do when he thinks he's ready. And what is there? There can be any greater delight than being with the divine. Can even the greatest supramental heights, I mean, just being with the divine, to be at his service, to love him with all one's heart, what more would one want? So he says, what the sadhak has to seek is the full opening to the divine. The psychic change of his consciousness. The spiritual change. Three things. Opening to the divine, the psychic change and the spiritual change. Of that change of consciousness, so to bring that change of consciousness, what is required, Shubhendra is telling us, of that change of consciousness, selflessness, desirelessness, humility, bhakti, surrender, calm, equality, peace, quiet sincerity are necessary constituents. What will bring the change? Until he has the psychic and spiritual change, to think of being supramental is an absurdity and an arrogant absurdity. So this is the journey of yoga and these qualities should be developed precisely because one has to prepare for the divine advent, for the grace, for the welcome of the Lord. And mother has given the twelve names to these twelve qualities. I have them um, uh, on my mail and if anybody is interested, I just made a compilation two years back. I didn't have this in mind uh, for a kind of my own practice actually that every month I'll, I actually thought that, you know, 12 qualities I'll put one for each month and everything that is written there and I'll just meditate on one thing. So, well, uh, that's my part of the story. But it's available with me and if anybody wants, I can just mail it. If you leave your email or mail me and just say that I want those 12 attributes. So it's there and I can just mail. It's just a compilation from mother's writings, nothing of my own. So these 12 qualities mother gives, 12 attributes, sincerity, aspiration, goodness, humility, receptivity, generosity, gratitude, progress, equanimity, Perseverance, courage, peace. So these are the 12 qualities he has said and as we were saying that uh, we should have some kind of interaction. So uh, I would like very much, I would appreciate 
if uh, some of us can come up just randomly, you know, what each quality, what one would think, what it means, and then we can read something from Mother to look at it from the divine standpoint. So sincerity, we spoke about it in the morning. When Mother says, insincerity leads to the path of ruin, allow no deception to creep into your consecration to the divine. Any definitions of sincerity? We understand, how, how would we understand sincerity? I'll end up reading. I'm, I'm very impatient in these matters. <laughs> I'll be happy if, you know, uh, anything comes spontaneously. You don't have to mentalize. I'm not uh, saying that, you know, start. follows what he says. To follow what the divine, I mean, what the master says. Strictly that would be obedience. But obedience and sincerity go together. This was asked by Sahanadi to Sri Aurobindo. And he said, strictly that would be obedience, and it's a great quality. It leads to the development of sincerity. The person is within exactly what he appears to be outside. Wonderful. The person is within what he appears outside. So this corresponds to something Mother has said, do not pretend, be. Do not promise, act. Do not dream, realize. So, no pretensions. Sincerity has no pretensions. It doesn't try to pose. It is what one is inside, one is outside. A kind of transparency. Okay, that's one definition. Yes? Uh, to make finding the divine the main aim in your life is the most important thing. Wonderful. To finding the divine as the one important thing in one's life. Yes, and the mother puts it uh, again, there is something very beautiful. Uh, in fact, two definitions. Uh, sincerity means to lift all the movements of the being to the level of the highest consciousness. To be sincere in the aspiration to want the divine for the divine's sake. Just what uh, Vendidi has said. To want the divine for the divine's sake. Of course, the mother adds something. Not for fame or name or prestige or power, or any satisfaction of vanity. So that's the negative side, but essentially to want the divine for the sake of the divine. This is, see how our understanding of sincerity begins to change. It's not about being uh, dot nine to five on the job that one is doing. And then something very beautiful and touching. Sincerity does not at all depend on satisfying others. It is not in relation to others. It is an inner matter and lies solely between you and me. It is pleasing the divine. In fact, in one place, Mother says, do not try to please others. Because that's not our business. We are not on a business to market something. So, between you and me, be sincere. Now look what mother says, be sincere and I am ready to correct your mistakes a thousand times if necessary. So this is the gift of sincerity. Okay, two more which relate to what Govind just mentioned. Before the eternal consciousness, 
A drop of sincerity has more value than an ocean of pretension and hypocrisy. So it is not pretending and appearing to be a sadhak. In fact, this word is, you know, best not used. It's just being what one is in front of the divine as an open book, like a little child. I need not seem if I am. It is better to be than to seem. No need of seeming when one is. I need not appear to be good if my sincerity is perfect. It's not a certificate given by somebody else. We are not on the lookout for that. If we are sincere, the Divine knows it and He will help us to grow. There is another uh, regarding something very similar that Govinda said. So many definitions relate to this. Be straightforward with humanity. No pretense and show. Mother's words. Be straightforward with humanity. No pretense and show. Any other definition? Basically it's about not to deceive oneself, not to deceive the divine. And this last one, in sincerity I'll read and then probably go on to the next one. Human beings for the most part have the inveterate habit of deceiving themselves. They deceive themselves in hundreds of different ways, each more slyly tricky and subtle than the other and all this with at once a perfect candor and perfect insincerity. So human beings do that all the time. Okay, the next is aspiration. So, any, any thoughts on aspiration? Anyone else? Any thoughts on us? Yes, please. You are thinking about where you find where you where, what your destination is continuously. Thinking constantly or thinking about the goal, the destination. Okay. Of course, that is an aspiration when we are thinking about the goal. So here. One of the definition Mother says, Our only aspiration must be for spiritual progress. It is only for that that we must pray. And there is another very interesting definition which she gives, not a definition, but something very beautiful. If in man the seed of aspiration is watered with the true spirituality, then he will grow into divinity. So this is, aspiration is like a seed and if it is watered with true spirituality, it will grow into divinity. Yes, please. Turns towards divine. It turns towards the divine. Trust towards the divine. Thirst towards the divine. Absolutely true. That is something which repeatedly she has said, in fact she has said that is the thing which is required. I don't have uh, that in form of a definition because, of course, it's 
I have just picked up one one lines. But in one of the places he said the one thing which is necessary is to have this thirst constantly. She has actually used the word. And she says if that thirst is there, then it doesn't matter what you are doing and where you are. Because that thirst leads us to the path. There is an interesting story that I am reminded about this and after that we go to the next quality. When Sri Ramakrishna was asked by somebody that tell me about spirituality and how to find God, uh, he remained silent and you know this man waited. Then every morning he used to go to the Ganges to take a bath. And this man would wait patiently for him and pester him with these questions. Sir, tell me something about how to find the divine and how to find God. Ramakrishna would not respond at all. He would go straight like an arrow, take a bath and come back. So one day he just stood in front of him. He said, I won't let you go till you tell me. <laughs> so he said, okay, come. He didn't, doesn't say a word, catches him by the hand. He was a very powerful person, you know, because Kali's uh, power, you know. So he takes him and they go for a bath in the Ganges. So as he dips, he says, now dip into the Ganges. As he dips, he holds him by the hand and he cannot come out. So this man is gasping for breath. Finally, he releases. When he comes out, he says, sir, I did a great mistake asking you. <laughs> I am sorry, but don't do this to me. Like a simple man, I asked you about God. What crime I had done so that you were almost downing me. So Ramakrishna asked him, he was a man of few words. As Shivinder said, very intuitive intelligence, intuitive uh, uh, knowledge coming from the heart. So Ramakrishna asked him, what did you ask when you were inside the water? He said, for air, of course. He says, when you ask for the divine with that intensity, he will reveal himself. And the mother has confirmed something which Ramakrishna Paramahansa has said, that if for three days, continuously, you aspire for the divine, you can realize him in three days. I would add, don't try it. <laughs> I... I know of someone who had a breakdown because if you do it the wrong way, you know, because in fact, Mother has said that you must be prepared. It's not like, you know, try it. It's not possible because, you know, the whole consciousness has to be prepared. But it's true that to seek the divine, to have thirst for the divine, it doesn't matter how it expresses itself. It can express in a mental form. It can express with clarity. It can express as a feeling. It can express as a need. It can express as a will to serve. All the, it can express as an urge to progress. All these are expressions of aspiration. So, she says, true aspiration is not a movement of the mind, but of the psychic. Psychic aspiration is constant, regular, organized, gentle and patient at the same time. Resists all oppositions, overcomes all difficulties. Keep the fire burning steadily and wait quietly for the sure result. When the aspiration is awake, each day brings us nearer to the goal. How beautiful. Every morning if we can wake up with the aspiration and sleep with the aspiration at night. We switch off the lights but keep the aspiration awake. So the next is goodness, harmony and goodwill. Any thoughts? 
much need of the hour. And someone asked Sri what is the secret of collective harmony? Sri says, union in the mother. One line. Keep meditating on it. Union in the mother. Harmony? It is only in union with the divine and in the divine that harmony and peace can be established. Look for inner causes of disharmony much more than the outer ones. It is the inside which governs the outside. And another beautiful little thing, you must rise for all to agree, that's one problem of harmony. For all to agree, <laughs> what she is demanding of us, expecting of us. Each one must rise to the summit of his consciousness, not to the lowest pit. For all to agree, each one must rise to the summit of his consciousness. It is on the heights that harmony is created. If we fall low, then harmony is not created. We are only, you know, more and more division. If you rise to the summits, harmony comes spontaneously. Any other definition of harmony? Not definition, but I have a question. Yeah. Which of the four aspects of the mother does harmony correspond to? Ma Lakshmi. But she is... Her demand is beauty and nobility of thought and feelings, beauty and nobility. If they are not there, she withdraws. That we'll speak of tomorrow or day after. That's a demand. True collaboration. Yes, Priya. Uh, harmony and balance? Oh, um, no, it's not exactly balance. I can understand it kind of balance helps in harmony, but uh, balance is regarding, you know, at our level, you know, balance is, can be of various kinds. Uh, balance is that all parts of our nature uh, and the forces that are received should be in exact measure and proportion. That's how you know the balance would, can be created. If one part is moving up and the other is not moving or static, then there is an imbalance. So to that extent, yes, that imbalance would lead to disharmony or lack of harmony. But here, harmony goes still deeper. It is, um, in fact, uh, we can put it like this, that supposing you have to create a very, you know, a, a, you take two pieces of card and put them together to build a little house. House means a kind of shed. Then it's easy. Now if you have to do it with 12 pieces, it's much more difficult. If to do it with 52 cards, it becomes even more difficult. So it is to bring all the elements of our being actually 
in conscious collaboration around something which is central which they together are trying to represent that's what harmony is harmony is not just in agreement or whereas balance is something which is more basic when you take two elements and you put them together they when they are in the right measure or exact measure that's a kind of balance to be in synchronization be in unison yes we can put it like that to be in synchronization and in unison but it all requires a central point that is the whole issue so that central point is the meeting point around which everything harmonizes so this central point if it is different it becomes very difficult to create a harmony that's why shubhendra says it is in the divine consciousness that one can harmonize yes kundal to see and feel everything as a part of the one Yes, that's more of an equality to see and feel, which we'll come to is a great quality to to see the divine in all things, in every event and circumstance that we'll come to. But uh, that automatically does not translate into harmony because uh, there's many movements of nature which are not in harmony, let's say, with the divine will. We can there get the Uh, crux of the problem how to harmonize them within us harmony is with yes takshita i'm just a little a little bit confused because actually the quality is goodness yes so yes different from goodness absolutely so the thing is that yes it comes more from goodwill actually i would be happy if somebody can uh, give me something which more approximates with goodness i have just brought them together because uh, when i was going through mother's writings so goodness harmony goodwill they were you know clubbed together but i quite agree that it's goodness something which um, is very difficult to really define but if somebody can define it will be very nice why don't you the opposite of badness <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> yes wendy uh, it has to do with trying to live divine love this goodness is is a is a personal quality that you want to be kind to everyone yes in an unselfish way yes yes that's that's true that's a very beautiful definition to be kind and to be it comes from the quality of love and that's where it also links to harmony because it's a movement of love which manifests harmony so kind and i would probably if i if i have to think of it it is to wish the very best for everyone because kindness itself can be a lower movement and a higher movement so in a higher movement kindness is to have the goodwill that's how you know i brought in the sense of goodwill that to will the very best for everyone in the head and the heart that's how i mean i would understand goodness so there is another quality uh, which is humility we we can you know later on just meditate on these um, it, it just some seeds from mother which i am just you know uh, throwing around humility is another quality 
And what is humility? Yes, any definitions of humility? Yeah, please. But I can tell you, there, some of you have come with me to the Matrimandir to work in the gardens. Mm. On the main road to the Matrimandir, there is a shrub, a native shrub called Tereda Asiatica. Mother has named that shrub Humility Before the Divine in the Physical Nature. Wow. And there is a grass that is called humility. Mm. Grass. Yes. She has named humility. It says everything to me. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Beautiful. This is the kind of thing, you know, which will be so beautiful. It is before the divine, actually. That's the crux of the whole thing. And it's not a pretension before human beings. It's towards the divine. And uh, one of the things that Mother has said about is to be humble means for the mind, the vital and the body never to forget that without the divine they know nothing, are nothing and can do nothing. Without the divine they are nothing but ignorance, chaos and impotence. This is also the surest seal against all hostile attack. Indeed, in the human beings, it is always the door of pride at which the adversary knocks. For it is this door which opens to let him enter. How beautiful. Finally, humility and sincerity are the best safeguards. Without them, each step is a danger. With them, the victory is certain. So, uh, I could just go on, but I think it's 9.30 and this is just a feel of, you know, if one has to go into these 12 qualities and really do it at depth, it's a whole camp. <laughs> but I think uh, if anyone is interested, I'll be very happy to just mail them and we can meditate on them and we can think about them. One practical thing which... I have done and I can only suggest that and each one will find his own way is um, every month to you know put it on the calendar <laughs> that this month I am going to practice this <laughs> and uh, you know to look at it every day from a new angle that supposing you know one puts up let's say peace so I look at it from uh, each day a new way of looking at peace. So, I had very interesting observations that if I was um, uh, walking and you know suddenly something came up which was going to disturb my peace. So, I could see that look, I mean no, I am supposed to remain peaceful today. <laughs> so, it, it really opens new doors. So, this is one thing, one of the ways which one can try to meditate because there is no other way and the other is to uh, ask the mother for these qualities. When someone asks, how are we to develop them? She said, ask them from me, my child. As simple as that. We are so lazy or whatever, we don't even do that. 
Look, maybe you can uh, recount the story that the mother told about gratitude. Uh, which one? There are plenty of them. The virtues? Yeah, the virtues. Uh, that's the story where she speaks of a party which is going on and all the gods have come. This this is a very uh, personal element to it because this was the... Uh, I have adapted it into a play and this was one of the dramas which I had staged in Punjab during the peak of the terrorism crisis on Shirobindo's birthday and just two, three days before the event a terrorist had come to threaten. I'm just sharing some things. <laughs> Sartaj has told me, why don't you speak about... Okay, this, because these are not inner experiences. These are just some events and stories which are very interesting. So, we were staging this play as one of the things and uh, they came and told uh, you, I believe you are celebrating India's independence because that time, you know, 15th August is both and uh, don't blame us if something happens. So, I literally told him that we are Mahakali's children, you please do what you want to do. We are going to do what we have to do. It's your Bindu's birthday, it's important for us. We didn't call the police and we did it just as an act of faith. So these people came, about six, seven of them. They stood and this play went on. They went away. The man who had come to my house, after one year he wrote to me, I was already posted out of the place, apologizing for his actions. He became a devotee of Sri and the mother. So I suppose this play has some evocative power in it. It's a small little story of two pages where the gods are meeting in heaven and uh, sincerity comes, very figurative, you know, where sincerity comes with prudence on our side and uh, even the dresses, you know, wearing a transparent robe. So like that, you know, all the powers come. And towards the end when they have all come together, suddenly on the threshold there appears a, a goddess who is very shy and very modest. And they ask him, they ask her, who are you? So she says, no wonder I am not recognized. I am gratitude. And actually this, uh, I think Narad will tell us better, you know, it's often found on the roadside, just like that. In India, I mean, I just wonder. And in, in places, Mother has said, gratitude, uh, at the material level, it's the most uh, material expression of, you know, opening to the divine and trust in the divine. It's the most material expression of the psychic presence. And one of the signs that the psychic is really open is to feel gratitude. And I have, uh, in my practice, applied it several times, not towards myself, <laughs> but <laughs> towards the Divine. And I have seen that people who naturally feel gratitude towards the Divine, really in many ways they are so beautifully open inside. Whereas there are those who constantly resist, who will never feel gratitude, who are constantly... Uh, and one can almost measure the degree of psychic development just by the expression of gratitude. I guess it works at some level even towards human beings. But um, 
it's it's one of the signs of the psychic efflorescence on earth in matter narad you would like to add something in gratitude um, well it's a wayside plant and it's found especially in the villages alongside the road the flower is a trumpet shaped flower and it fades very quickly during the day hmm. gratitude is rather evanescent and i'll tell you three lines from a poem i wrote many years ago to bring her gratitude that would survive the solar stillness bear the burnt clay road from orville to the home of the parent son beautiful beautiful thank you so much yes that's right i said that the best gratitude one give one can give to divine is simply to be happy yes it's so powerful and so divine that it's so powerful if you want to be happy you'll do anything for anybody yes, yes. that's true that's most difficult and the more we are grateful the more we are happy it is true <laughs> but it's so difficult this was the work mother gave to dara <laughs> he asked mother what shall i do she said be happy so after 3 days he said mother this very difficult give me some other work <laughs> <laughs> in fact that reminds me of a five point practical program that mother gave to i forget the name of the sadhak i think this two was dara or udar or anyways the five point program was be simple be happy do your work as well as you can keep yourself always open towards me this is all that is asked from you How simple sadhana can be? Can one imagine such a sadhana? Be simple, be happy. Not difficult at all. Keep yourself always open towards me. Do your work as well as you can. Yes, the remain quiet. Remain quiet. Yes, remain. The five points. Yes, remain quiet. <laughs>